Good evening. So good to have you with us this evening. If you would, turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. As we said earlier in the year, we're going to have to cover some of our His Word lessons on Sunday night in order to get through them all. And so that's what we're doing this evening and what we will be doing for the next, I don't know if they'll be in order, but for several evenings in a row here, or close to in a row, in the next few weeks. We're looking at John 1, 35-51 and using it as a springboard to talk about the power of an invitation. I mean, we all like getting invitations, I think. I mean, this is the time of year, at least it's about to be the time of year, where you're starting to get graduation invitations or maybe wedding invitations. And we feel honored that someone would ask us to come and attend, whether it be a wedding or a graduation or whatever. Of course, maybe they want us to send a little money too, but still, we're honored, right? Except unless it's an Amway meeting or something. We don't really like getting invited to things like that. But most of the time, we just feel honored that someone would invite us. You think about an invitation, and you think about the power of an invitation when it comes to just inviting someone to come to church. You know, we look at evangelism like it's this huge elephant that we can't even ingest, and, but really, there are simple ways to approach it. There are smaller, bite-sized ways that we can look at evangelism, and one of those is just through an invitation. Before we get into that, let's look at John 1. Starting at verse 35, again, the next day, John was standing with his two disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus had answered and said, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Three little words in here, and I'm sure you picked them out. Three little words that we could use every day leading up to Sunday. What are they? Come and see. Just come and see. Look at what's going on here. John the Baptist is standing with his two disciples. When he sees Jesus walking up, John says, Behold the Lamb of God. Then it states, The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. One of these two was Andrew, who went and found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, 
Look at verse 43. Jesus finds Philip and says to him, Follow me. Then Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets also spoke of, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael's not convinced at first, of course, but Philip simply said, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming, he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael responded, How do you know me? To which Jesus states, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And notice Nathanael's response, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. John said, Behold the Lamb of God, and two followed Jesus. Andrew went and invited his brother to follow. Philip invited Nathanael. You see this kind of chain reaction, don't you? Sometimes it's as simple as that. When I, when I speak of evangelism, and when I preach on evangelism, when I'm working up a lesson, I, I, I try to think about what's a new way that we can approach the subjects. There are certain subjects like that, baptism, you know, evangelism, whatever it is. You try to find newfangled ways to come up with re- rehearsing and reciting the same old points, right, but in ways that are easy to grasp and maybe that you never thought of before. But sometimes that's not necessary. And sometimes when it comes to like a, a sermon on evangelism, sometimes you just got to get easy. You got to get right down there to the point. And sometimes it's as simple as come and see. Sometimes there is great power in just a simple invitation. We look at evangelism like it's this huge beast. And I think many of us say, where do I start? And it's not about where do I start with a person. We all know of a person. None of us have an excuse there. We all know of somebody who needs the gospel, right? But where do I start with that person? How do I initiate the conversation? What do I say? How do I get into it? Some people want to want to go in guns a-blazing. Well, you know you're not going to heaven. They start off the conversation like that, and maybe they close the door right away. Some people are more delicate. Some people are afraid that if they say the wrong thing, that they're going to set the person off and lose an opportunity, so therefore they don't say anything. Sometimes it's as simple as just saying, come and see. There's a blog post I read one time called, Putting a Pebble in His Shoe. And in this post, the author speaks of how Christians are often so pressured to close the sale, so to speak, when it comes to evangelism. In other words, they get right to the heart of the matter, and if the person doesn't respond, then they shake the dust off their feet and they move on. It's an all-or-nothing approach, but many times the recipient isn't ready to ingest the whole thing, right? Because one of the biggest failures we make as Christians is we expect non-Christians to be like Christians. And they're just not. And we need to stop having that expectation. Another mistake that we make, either knowingly or unknowingly, is when people come through our doors, we expect them to rise to our level before we'll really even get down and talk to them. Folks, they are unchurched for a reason. They are spiritually lost for a reason. And so we have to take them where they're at, but not leave them there, right? And sometimes it starts with just a simple invitation. And and it's not just necessarily an invitation to church. Sometimes it's an invitation to vacation Bible school. Sometimes it's an invitation to our Stronger Marriages workshop. Sometimes it's an invitation to Ladies' Day. I know this sounds crazy in our, in our world because we are members of the church, but sometimes church is a big old thing that's hard for them to, to just infuse into and integrate right away. But it doesn't always start with, hey, you want to sit down and look at the Jewel Miller film strips with me? We don't actually have to start there all the time, right? 
We don't actually have to always go to the person and say, hey, uh, I love you, let's study the Bible. Sit down, let's start in John. Now, sometimes we get our foot in the door by putting that little nugget, that little stone in their shoe, like that blog post talks about. He says, it says, I want to put a stone in his shoe. All I want to do is give him something worth thinking about. I want him to hobble away on a nugget of truth that he can't simply ignore because it continues to poke at him. A simple invitation can be that stone or that nugget. Just invite them to church and then use that as a springboard. Maybe they come to church and then, and then after that you can go to lunch. You can talk about you know, what uh, what went on in church that morning, or maybe maybe you invite them to an event at church, and then you know that is a springboard, an open door to an opportunity to talk about things concerning Jesus, God, Scripture. Right? You don't always have to start with, "Hey, let's sit down and study the Bible." That's a good place to start. Don't get me wrong, but sometimes it starts even simpler than that with a simple invitation. You know, it's interesting in his book, "The Unchurched Next Door." Tom Rainer points out some pretty interesting statistics that he compiled when he did his book. For instance, according to surveys, 82% of unchurched people are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they're invited. 82%. A study including more than 15,000 adults revealed that about two-thirds are willing to receive information about a local church from a family member and 56% from a friend or neighbor. In other words, the unchurched are open to conversations about church. Lifeway research showed that 41% would respond to an invitation from a friend or acquaintance. 25% said that they would respond to an invitation from their children, and 25% said that they would respond to an invitation from an adult or a family member. So all that's encouraging, right? Until you look at it this this way, a sad reality that was also revealed in the research is that seven out of ten unchurched people have never been invited to church their whole life. Only 2% of church members invite an unchurched person to church. 98% of churchgoers never extend an invitation in a given year. I know that's not the case here, but it seems to be the case in so many places. We hear talk all the time about the, the church failing in the Department of Evangelism and how, you know, it's the great omission rather than the great commission, right? And we talk a lot about what can be done, but Christians by and large, at least according to the research, aren't even willing to do the bare minimum. And so how can we expect results if we can't even do the bare minimum, right? Here's the deal. And I know you know this. But found people find people. Found people find people. As Christians, saved people save people. That's your number one responsibility, right? I mean, you think about this. Someone who has met Jesus invites someone who hasn't met Jesus to take uh, to, to a place where he can meet Jesus. This person recognizes Jesus for, for who he is, the Lamb of God, this person responds to the call to follow Jesus. This person begins telling other people about Jesus and inviting them to meet Jesus. And it all started with a simple invitation, right? That's the simple blueprint of evangelism that's found right here in John 1, 35 through 51, isn't it? 
someone who has met Jesus invites someone who hasn't met Jesus to a place where he can meet Jesus. This person recognizes Jesus for who he is, the Lamb of God. This person responds to the call to follow Jesus. This person begins telling other people about Jesus and inviting them to meet Jesus. Found people find people. And I would remind you that the word disciple means learner. And we talked about that in our sermon last year when we talked about Christians and discipleship in our One Word series. And you might remember that disciple means learner, but it also was the goal of any disciple or learner to be exactly like his teacher. That was always the goal, to be exactly like the rabbi who taught you. And that should be our goal, to be exactly like our teacher. Exactly like our Savior, exactly like Jesus, right? In as many ways as possible. And you'll remember, in Luke chapter 15, for instance, there are three parables about lost and found. There's a lost coin, lost sheep, and, and lost sons, right? And so, in one, one chapter there, in Luke chapter 15, we see exemplified for us that found people find people, and that when, found, that when lost people are found, that there is great rejoicing, right? That there's a celebration. Think about the potential impact of a simple invitation. What if you invited someone to come to church and they showed up one Sunday and they sat and they listened and they evaluated what was going on and they loved the singing and and maybe the preaching wasn't too bad and they, they were greeted warmly by the members there and they went home that night and they thought about what they had experienced and eventually they decided that they needed to do something with their life and so they put on Christ and they began following faithfully and Wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't it be amazing that it all started with just a simple invitation to church? You will never know that feeling if you don't ask, right? You will never know the difference that you can potentially make if you don't try. And all of us can do this. That's the thing. Evangelism is is, is such a stressful kind of uh, thing for so many Christians, but anybody can do this, right? Anybody can invite. Anyone can say, come and see. Is that what Jesus has done for us? You see, so often that uh, you know we want to we want to kind of force the issue, we want to ramrod the issue, we want to hurry up and get the person baptized. But Jesus often employed a come and see approach, didn't he? Over and over again, come and see, consider the evidence, count the cost. Here's the deal: when we talk about the primary purpose of the church and the primary purpose of of Christians. We always mention the word evangelism. I, I kind of say it rather technically. I say the church is to be the agency by which the story of salvation is to be told. It's a rather technical way of saying that the primary purpose of the church is to reach those who aren't in it. It's really that simple. The primary purpose of the church is to reach those who are not already in it. Second Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are billboards, we are signposts, we are ambassadors for Christ, we are walking advertisements for the gospel. Everything that we say or do should point to the truth of Jesus Christ, to the truth of the gospel, who he is, what he has done for us, what he is doing through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so when you merge these two things... I think you're left with two vital concepts when it comes to evangelism. Number one, otherness, and number two, outreach. Two vital concepts, otherness and outreach, or as we like to call it here at Oldham Lane, make and grow disciples. That's what we're about. 
You don't think this works? Allow me to demonstrate to you in this little uh, this little illustration. Allow me to illustrate for you this evening that this does work, okay? Otherness and outreach, it does work. Okay, you ready? Look around here. That's your proof. It works. How many people are sitting around you that have come our way because you asked them to come? That someone somewhere down the line, maybe not even here in Abilene, Texas, but someone somewhere down the line invited you. Or maybe you saw the television program. Maybe you saw one of the commercials. Somebody invited you. Very seldom does someone sit in a hotel room late at night and pick up their Gideon's copy of the Bible and read it and say, I need to be baptized. I'm not saying that never happens, but most people become Christians because of other Christians, right? And so, if most people become Christians by other Christians, and we have to ask ourselves, what are we doing in that department to help people come to meet Jesus, right? Are we even starting at the very bare minimum? Have we even started with a simple invitation? Notice Colossians 4, 2-4. It says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Have you been praying for an open door? Do you pray for evangelism? If not, add that to your prayer list. Pray to be evangelistic. Pray that God will open a door. Because I bet you He will. In fact, I bet you He already has, even without you praying for it. So here are some practical, practical suggestions, okay? Number one, make the invitation specific. Instead of saying, hey, why don't you come to church with me sometime? Say, hey, how about I pick you up? You come to church with me this Sunday. Or I'll, I'll meet you out front, right? Be specific. Don't just invite them and allow them to fend for themselves. Say, hey, why don't you come this Sunday? I'll meet you out front. I'll take you to class with me. You can sit with me. Be specific. Make it personal. Make the invitation clear. Tell them a little bit about what they can expect. Say, we sing a lot. There's a lot of prayers. Some guy gets up and preaches for a rather long time, but I'm sure you can endure it because everything else is really good. Tell them about what's going on. Maybe be specific about what they will experience and tell them, you know, that, that we do this, we're, we're just following what the New Testament teaches, and maybe that's a springboard to talking more about it. Invite conversation after the invitation. Let's say they do come to church. Maybe offer to take them to lunch. Invite them over to your house. Use that time of togetherness to discuss what went on in church. Allow it to be a springboard into a spiritual conversation. Coming to Bible class is a great way to do that. Not just worship, but having them talk about what they learned in Bible class and maybe questions that they might have. But above all else, just to ask. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen, right? They turn you down, and that's disappointing, but at the same time, that's not tragic. That's not going to end your world. Just ask. There are many Christians who don't feel comfortable 
having a spiritual discussion with someone, but there's no excuse here. We can all say, come and see. All of us. We can at least do that. Look at the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation, we find another invitation. It's chapter 22, verse 17, and it reads like this. It says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Now, let me just say that I am convinced that the Spirit is always invited. Always. I'm not always convinced that Christians are as invited. Not pointing the finger at any of us here, I'm just saying, I think the Spirit is always inviting. I'm not sure that Christians are always as inviting as they could be. I mean, you think about our worship service. You think about someone who is visiting. You think about that time at the end of the lesson that we have that little addendum that we call the invitation. What is the invitation? An opportunity for anyone to come forward seeking the prayers of this church family, someone who is seeking encouragement, someone who maybe is ready to put on Christ in baptism. I mean, I think we'd all agree that's the invitation, right? What is the invitation from a Christian's perspective sitting in the pew many times? Time to put my stuff up. Time to get ready to go, right? I wonder how inviting the atmosphere is for someone who might make that long trek down the aisle when everybody else is getting their stuff together. And look, I understand that we have folks here that... They have to make a quick exit or else they can't get out of here because of health concerns and all that. I'm not talking about that. Certainly understand that. Are we truly inviting as a congregation? Not just asking people to come and see, but are we inviting while we're here as well? Was that a church one time where someone came forward? During the invitation song, I happened to look over and there was this there was this Christian who rolled their eyes. And I thought, hell's not big enough for that attitude, folks. That's horrible. It's horrible. We've got to be more inviting. We've got to make this a place of invitation so that people know that, look, we love you. This is a family. You are welcome here. But we want to help you get right with God. And so we don't have an invitation just because it's what you do. It's the addendum at the end, and it's really weird if you don't do one, so we do it. But the invitation serves a, a distinct purpose. And I've said this before, but I would love it that no one walks down that aisle alone. I would love that. I would love it if Oldham Lane was a place where nobody walked down the aisle by themselves. We always have people that come up and sit with folks when they come forward, and that's, that's awesome. But if someone comes from the back, may they never walk alone. So, I don't say that to discourage. I don't say that to demean. I think we have a loving, wonderful congregation. I just want us to, to be aware that we, can, that we can 
tell people to come and see, and then when they do come and see, that we can invite them to something deeper, something more meaningful than what they're getting in the world around them, right? I think the Spirit is very welcoming. I think the Spirit has no problem doing the inviting. I think sometimes, unfortunately, with Christians, we're not always uh, that accommodating sometimes. So, we're going to offer an invitation. David's going to sing a song, I assume. And if we can help you in any way tonight, if you need encouragement, you need prayer, or you to set up a Bible study with someone, also, I understand that not everyone in answers the invitation by coming down the aisle as well. Maybe you answer it in your own heart, in your own way. Maybe it's something you dwell on and many weeks later. But like we say every week, don't, don't leave here without being right with God. Make certain that your life is in order. And if that needs to happen tonight, if you need to do something tonight, if you need to make a change or whatever, our folks here will accommodate them. We've got small groups. We've got other things to do. But nothing is more important than you being right with God. You are invited. Come as we stand as we sit.